0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Scott Varden, who has had three near-death experiences, which we're going to talk about today. Scott, thank you for joining me and welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: If you don't mind, let's just start with your first one and go from there. Okay.
1: 1969. I was working um, undercover narcotics for New York State Police. Um, I don't want to go into what exactly happened and who was involved,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because that's been taken care of. But um, I got shot. I took three rounds. The first one took me right here. Uh, You see where the bone is missing, how far I can stick my finger in there? Yes. Boom. Yeah. So that made me go airborne. <clears throat> when that happened, I was out of my body, looking at my body arcing in the air. The Vesta had on, popped up. One round grazed me in the upper area here. The third round hit me in the middle of the right side of my stomach so i'm watching this not understanding because you you don't really uh, i didn't get it what was going on and then i did a complete you know flip around and landed on the ground and then i was back in my body that's that is what i witnessed um And believe it or not, I had some other people with me, and to the vehicle that I was extracted in, I actually ran to that vehicle, and I don't know how I did it in the shape that I was in. I was taken to the local hospital and then transferred to the next highest hospital in Saranac Lake, New York, and then from there, I was taken to Burlington, Vermont. At the University of Vermont Medical Center. And when I opened my eyes, the man looking at my face, and I had a hole the size of a orange on this side of my face. And you cannot tell, there's just one tiny scar here. Mm-hmm. Because that man was Dr. Charles Barney. Dr. Charles Barney. Was a very high-ranking officer in the Israeli Mossad. He did he was a plastic surgeon. He did all the 76 burn cases from that war. And um the reason he was in Burlington is because General Electric had a Vulcan gun factory there. And after the 76 war, Israel decided they needed him and they sent people over to. They got a license. They sent people over to learn how to make them, which they do in their own country now. That man and I bonded. And um, it was the summer that I met my current wife, Lara, who we've had past lives together, um, that I introduced her to him. And later that year, Mister uh, Dr. Barney uh, passed away. Um, everything's connected. So that was my first NDE mm-hmm. and I am ashamed to say I did not get it.
0: You were only Ready? out of your body for seconds it seems like so you really didn't, you know.
1: Right, but it's like slow motion seconds if if you know what I mean it just um so that that happened and then life went on. Um I I went back to college after that. And um, after that, I entered the military in 75. And in 75, I became Military Police Special Forces. I taught at McClellan. I was transferred out west to Fort Ord, working for a um, three-star on a project. And then I was transferred early to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. And that's the only reason I'm alive today because my work at Fort Mamas, and the reason I was sent there was because a family member retired as a nurse and became the private duty nurse for Crazy Joe Bonanno's mother. <clears throat> Her best friend was secretary to um, a high ranking 39 year veteran of the CIA. And um, they knew this. And of course, my relationship um, was to, to facilitate things that we couldn't possibly do. So <clears throat> I had a, a wonderful time at Fort Mamas. Um, I did a lot of work, including catching the uh, World Wild accounting office, uh, stealing over a hundred million dollars from the Electronics Command budget. And after that, I uh, pretty much had free reign. I worked with Vic Campy, uh, Um, He was a sack of the uh, Newark office, wonderful man. So when I left Fort Monmouth, I left with a letter from him and some ID, and um, I returned to Clarkson University to do my MBA, MIS, and I had a a tremendous amount of federal grants that dealt with uh, security at the Olympics in Lake Placid for 1980 and with preparing law enforcement in the region for Fort Drum becoming Fort Drum versus Camp Drum, which means about 60,000 people moving into the area. So um, I did my job there. I got involved um, with um, a certain product that led me into another field, working with other agencies. But the point is I um, had a severe back injury, crippling back injury. And during the first surgery, I had an NDE. Now, when you are looking down at the operating table and watching people panic and do their thing because your heart stopped, I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I have to be honest. I did not get it. Again, this is the second time. I'm watching my body from the outside and that. Okay, so life goes on. I ended up having basically 21 major surgeries in a 14-year period. And another time, I uh, (laughs) I was given an injection to have a test because my back was so bad that the only way that they could give me the MRI is to basically knock me out. And apparently they gave me too much because once again, I'm looking down in the hospital room with myself in the bed after I got the injection. And again, people are panicking and crying. So being as sick as I am, I guess I did not get that either. So in any event, that, that it, I mean, that made a, a tremendous impact on my life to have um, such severe back injury. But that didn't stop me. I recovered and went on. The only time I really got it was in two fourteen. Mm-hmm. Now. I know this for a lot of people, this may seem unsettling or crazy, but I think the documents and the pictures that, that I sent you, um, and you can share them. See, I, I'm very open. Um, show that, that, um, there's more to it. Um, there's, there's, there's just more to life than, than basically what I realized, even though I was brought up a, uh, what i call a psychotic catholic um, but um when i finally got it about the fact that that nde is proof that we're immortal spiritual beings because how else can you be outside your body looking at what is going on people thinking that you're dying or you're dead um <clears throat> And that was on the 15th of September 2014. I had two other police officers with me because of a certain terrorist case, um, which was rectified and it involved the uh, secret shoppers check scam being run by the Nigerian terrorists. Uh, people called Al-Shabaab, and they had a couple people up in northern New York at two different universities, because when you can target the students at four colleges, you're looking at, I don't know, well, probably 15,000 students, a couple of those universities, um, very expensive, and So what they did is they targeted the smart students and tried to flatter them. And um, they made the mistake of targeting one student that uh, I took offense to because it was my wife. And but we figured it out right away. I went to the banks. I went to the, you know, law enforcement. And yep, yep, no one could do a thing about it. It's not that they didn't care, but they didn't know how to put two and two together on it. Well, I had witnessed something that led me to these guys, and that night we had a little meeting, and we walked out at about two forty-five in the morning. And this is exactly what happened. Um, the lead investigator from the sheriff's department was the first one out, and when we got out on the lawn, he stopped and he looked and pointed to the sky, and he said. Oh my God! Look at the sky. Everything seemed so close. Well, it was, but we didn't understand what we were looking at. And then the gentleman from the Potsdam PD from behind me said, "Listen, listen to the coyotes. Everything is wrong." He said they're running around whining. They don't talk like that. And I, you know, you could hear them. We were out in the country, and I. So I looked up at the moon because my experiences with the coyotes in the wild are that at a full moon, they gather, but it wasn't a full moon. It was a fourth quarter moon directly overhead. And um, so I said, there was something strange about the moon now because there was this planet next to the moon. So I thought, so I pointed up. And the guys, I said, look. And they looked up at the moon. I said, it's not even a full moon. I said, it was a fourth quarter moon night. And of course, in a fourth quarter moon, the moon rises in the east. And so um, we were just dumbfounded. I mean, absolutely dumbfounded. It was such a a beautiful, beautiful sight. So, um, I mean, You're just frozen staring up at it. It just is an incredible thing that happens. But finally, the two looked at me, and this is exactly what they said. They they said, Scott, something's not right. We're getting the fuck out of here. I said, okay. But I just couldn't help myself but to stay there and stare. So they left. They went to their stations and they said, hey, you got to see the sky. So um, what do I do? I go inside, shut off the outdoor lights and come back out to see what's going on. And um, as soon as that, what we call the star vessel, Bethlehem, blinked off, shut the plasma off that they were projecting folding space with, because that's exactly how they do it. Um, They project plasma out of what we call the Star of Bethlehem, which rises in the east on the fourth quarter moon night, which is also known as the slack tide moon. Well, it took me a while to do some research on this, about three days, because I was just baffled. But what happened after that, They stopped folding space was um, this large red rectangular starship, which you have the picture of, popped out of the wormhole that they create by folding space. Now, we have the documents, when I say we, I mean myself, our government, and other governments, of an incident that happened in 1935 last time that anybody recorded this information. To. And I sent you that. There's a 13 year old named Igon Majevic who ended up at Clarkson University, my university, my wife's and my sons. I'm the largest single time donor at Clarkson University, believe it or not. And um, NASA paid for an $85 million building called the camp, the Center for Advanced Material processing. And Mr. B- Professor Majevek, beautiful, beautiful man, um, traded stories with me at the December 2014 graduation, where my youngest son, who is now a respiratory therapist at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, went to school in the 11th grade. <clears throat> um, and I kind of shocked him about it um, because I shared my experience with him and he and it was so funny because he said to me what makes you think you're the only one and I said well doc because I know they visited you in 1935 because for some reason they gave me the list of who they visited and that is the truth and it should be so obvious to people about these certain people like Tesla and Okay, oh Einstein, there's a whole bunch of them, 150 of us, that have been visited throughout humanity and given gifts for humanity. Okay, this is nothing I haven't put out before on the web, nothing I haven't told the people from our government, because they already knew, and I knew that. Because when I went to Fort Drum to tell my brothers, that they didn't have to worry about this craft coming because they thought it was an alien invasion and they shut the base down thinking so. They admitted to me that they saw them fold space. They admitted to me that they saw them stop time on 12 different occasions, which they did, which my wife will verify and so will the other people that witnessed it. Now, why I bring this in Is because they finally convinced me. um, They finally convinced me that um, we all are immortal spiritual beings. Um, And here's how they did it because they can take you up on their ship physically. You could be laying in bed in a two story house and be on the first floor and using their light technology, which I guess is replicated in what we call transporters, you know, from Star, Star Trek or whatever, um, they they can take you physically, beep, just like that. I mean, my wife's witnessed me being there and gone within seconds and then being put back. So one night, shortly after that September visit, they did it, but they brought me up ethereally, which means They bring your soul up. And when you're in their presence, um, you can feel everything. You can speak. You can see them. But you can't see a part of your body. And as soon as I realized that, boom, I was hit with this bright, pure white light. And boom, I'm back. And my wife, who was in the bedroom, said, where did you go? And as I started to tell her, boom, I, my, she said, my whole body was gone. And it was, I was back up on their ship and I was, I could see my hands. I could see my feet and continued the conversation. Like I had known these beings, beautiful beings, um, all my life. And apparently I have, but so, so I didn't, totally understand and they knew this and so boom the white light hits you at your back and my wife said where'd you go and boom it was like I would she said it was like I was totally asleep but I was back up as my ethereal body our soul and then before (laughs) before they did it again I said my I God, I understand. I understand. I get it like that excitedly. I said, you're proving that we are mortal spiritual beings. And I swear to you, the guy says to me, it's about time you understand this. And, and everybody laughed and I laughed. And, um,
0: let me ask you something real quick. Did they, at that point, mention your previous NDEs and they said something like, we're trying to teach you that you're an immortal soul?
1: Here's how they did it. They said, it's about time. In other words, I knew what they meant. I knew exactly what they meant. You didn't get it. You know, I was on a path. um, I did all the paving stone at Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, uh, Orlando Arena all the big corporate centers. I did, you know, uh, a tremendous amount of government work with another product that almost got me killed um, because the Irish mob um, didn't like the idea that $500 million of that product showed up on the West side of New York City in little John O'Connor's Carpenters Union, local 605, which is now disbanded for corruption. Yeah, because they tried to kill me in 94, but that didn't work out too well for them. so I was in the material world, you know what I mean? There was, uh, uh I got into the uh, paving stone business accidentally. Um, and when I was working for at the time as a commissioner of labor in the field, in New York state and, um, doing inspections, explosives, ski lifts, elevators, you know, dangerous shit. And, um, they, uh, I got, the, I got the opportunity, I have, was given the opportunity to do the um, Olympic sites with interlocking paving stone in Lake Placid for the 1980 Winter Olympics, and uh, I went to the commissioner and explained that to him, and he said, you can't do it, Scott, and I said, why? He said, because you're a state official, and that's state and federal money, so I said, F you, I quit, and he said, no, 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 we'll set your wife up as a WBE, and they did, said, this was my first wife. And so therefore, I I got to do that work, and it was seen by all the architects that came to visit Lake Placid after the Olympics. And that led me into the work that I did in New England, which was a tremendous amount of work for all the big companies. In fact, Kyle Tishman from the Tishman family, Tishman Construction, who I did work for, actually came to work for me. He was going to St. Lawrence University, he was a football player. We were doing um, Metro Center in Stanford. Joe Ross from Tishman came up to me and he said, Scott, he said, the old man wants to know if you'd put Kyle to work. And I kind of looked at him like, is he crazy? Because laying in an paving stone is pretty, very, very physical and everything. And I said, why? He said, because he told me, he said, Kyle's not coming in the office until he knows what work is like. And he said, this is work. So we, so I did. I said, sure, I do But I said, um, I don't run the jobs. I have people that run their own jobs. And I said, if he's going to fit in or he's not, if he doesn't, they get rid of him. Well, he worked with us. And not only that, on vacations, wherever we were working, he would come and work for us. That was his senior year at Saint Lawrence University. He, um, he, uh, uh, oh, so he was a football player. My men, even though he was back in school, they'd be working out of state all week. Some of them, when they came home, if Saint Lawrence had a home football game on Saturday, they would go to see Kyle play. That's how much. They liked the guy. So, <clears throat> so that opened up naturally a lot more doors for me because um, we did good work. I mean, you don't get Disney's work if you if you uh if you don't um if you're not the top of your field. Right. Okay. I couldn't have done it without without the guys off the farms. I gave uh, uh, a lot of um, men and women from Northern New York who were farm families. They worked on the farms, right? And that's 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 as hard as it gets, as far as I'm concerned, from working. And um, they had a they were paid high union wages. I mean, we had jobs where they were making about a hundred bucks an hour in the paycheck. Um, and so. They appreciated it, and they did their work, and they were treated well. They were housed well. They were fed well, and that's how we were able to accomplish what they did. And um, I, I, I can't take credit for it. I mean, I could sell a job, but I, I, especially with the condition of my back at the time, um, I couldn't do that type of physical work, and um, so that led to other products, which led to other things. But it's, but to me, it's, 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 it's all connected. I mean, this, the people who have, I, I don't know who else expresses the fact that when you have the NDE, they realize that they were an immortal spiritual being. I, I can't see how there's any other explanation. How can you be outside of your body watching and describing? I mean, I even described the incident in the operating room to my surgeon afterwards.
0: What did he say?
1: He believed me. He believed me. His name is Dr. John Krushenko. Uh, He was a neurosurgeon in Watertown, New York. But he believed me. Probably it wasn't the first time he heard it. Right. Okay. So, so, um, I think, uh, anyone who had an NDE, I think they're special. I mean, we're all special, but what I'm saying is why do certain people have NDE's and some people don't. Um, I'm a federally trained investigator. I um, I have cases that would blow your mind. Some I can talk about, some I can't. But the thing is, is I always wondered why I saw something that no one else saw.
0: If you don't mind me, I want to just go back to something about the aliens for a second. Sure. What did they look like?
1: My My first question to you would be, which one, which time. Hmm. Okay. When I had, um, you know, the thing about people saying, Oh, I was molested by aliens because they had this long silver oblong rod. Right. Right. And they put it somewhere where the sun doesn't shine. Right. But guess what? That's an honor. Because as I found out, after the third visit in 214, which is November, uh, in the fourth quarter midnight, three days later, I went to a funeral. And uh, there was another person at that funeral who happened to be on the list I was given. She did not recognize me. I had to ask someone at the funeral who she was. And this person said to me, one of my childhood friends' mothers, said to me, Scott, she said, she used to babysit your children. So I waited and I walked up to her after everyone left and I said something to her and she said, who are you? And when I said that, the first thing out of her mouth was, you were visited three times and they took a DNA sample from you. I was shocked, only my wife knew this. And I said, why? Now, this was a bit unsettling, her answer. Because if something happens to you, you will have a 38 year old body to incarnate into. That baffled me, okay? So basically that molestation, by the three guys in surgical gear and glasses. And when I say surgical gear, I mean full, full greens, even with a little cap. And before they sent me back, three of them are standing there. The guy, the guy in the middle has got the the oblong rod, Okay, The other two guys got their arms around him and they're laughing at me because They knew telepathically what I was thinking. And it was exactly what I had to tell my wife and my daughter-in-law and my son, who were awoken by my screams when they put me back. And they said, what's the matter? And I said, I had a nightmare. They said, you woke us up what kind of nightmare would do that? Never happened in my life before. Mm-hmm. And here's what I told them. I said, <laughs> three dogs because they, I mean, they were just beautiful like Wookies, but they were clean shaven. They weren't like like Chewbacca looked. And um, <laughs> I said to them, three dogs fucked me in the ass. And they looked at me and they said, boy, that was a nightmare. It wasn't a nightmare. It was them laughing at me because they knew what I was thinking. But then I learned after being visited so many times, because believe it or not, and I've told the government this, I have met now, I I stopped counting. Okay. I have met um, aliens that look just like us. I have met, uh, I think they must be played in because they're beautiful blondes. I have met uh, blue light beings. I have met, I call them Wookiees. That's all I know how to call them, you know, what to call them that. I have met some aliens, of course, all the strange ones, the ones that the Hopis talk about. Now, I didn't send the, uh, I could, I'll send this to you afterwards, but uh, for some strange reason in my life, um, twice I took these long, long trips. One was in 95. I went to Alaska uh, for about close to six months, started in the Pacific Northwest, ended up in Alaska, and then back. And um, I collected things like uh, from the Inuits you know their drawings or paintings pictures things like that but one of them that I was infatuated with was the um the one um I don't know if I sent it to you but I will it's a it's a picture of an Inuit village with totem poles around it the village is you know old 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 there's still buildings there but they're decrepit and um I always wondered why, did, why was I was so fascinated with that. So then, as, as it all happens, they lead you in the right direction of seeking knowledge, I guess. And so I got into Emmanuel Velikovsky's work. And in, in Emmanuel Velikovsky's work, uh, Worlds in Collision and Earth and Upheaval, which is nonfiction, all he did was match up story timelines around the world this is what he says during the times when these other heavenly bodies were traversing the inner solar system and earthquakes were horrible everywhere and volcanoes were going off all over the world. The Inuits said that they witnessed the sky coming close to earth. Therefore, They installed totem poles around their villages in case it happened again, so their villages wouldn't get crushed. He said, it must have been the volcanic ash in the sky. But I said, no. How can you tell the sky coming close to Earth If the sky is covered with clouds, volcanic ash, fog, rain, or snow, you can't. And if that was the case, the sky would always be close to Earth somewhere. When you see the sky, when you see space folded, you say, just like they did, just like my friend from the sheriff's department did, look at the sky, everything seemed so close. Now, this is important, and I'll tell you why, because what he was describing was when the last time the inbound binary system traversed the inner solar system, which it does, and the sky comes close to Earth. That's because someone's looking out for our ass, and they saved us back then. There's no other explanation. There's just it's impossible there's no other explanation but you see i know this i know that our government knows this because there's a lot of good people you know that work for the cia a lot of good people a lot of good people in the military you know whether you agree with what we do or not i don't always i'll be honest with you but when they seek you out And they tell you, either they witnessed it themselves, or they say, I know what totem poles are for, Scott. Why would they do that? Well, for one thing, you see, when you're told that you have a 38-year-old body to incarnate into, and you know that's possible, what do I have to fear? Who do I fear? no one. Oh, I fear, you know, I fear making, like we all do, making the mistakes and all that. But as far as death, I don't fear death. How can I after what I have been through in my life? Um. So I realized long ago as a child, looking up at the sky, walking to church one night, because I because you had to go to church every Sunday. Um, I was always given a quarter to put in the basket. I can remember this right to a T. It was a clear, beautiful winter night. And we had a dairy bar. We had our own, you know, um, it was a small village, but we had probably the best milk and ice cream in the world, I think, back then. And uh, so I'm walking, I'm right at that dairy bar, which is next to our church. I'm flipping the corner and looking up. I looked up at the sky and I saw something move. <laughs> and so I took that quarter and I went to the dairy bar and go to, didn't go to mass that night and I got myself a milkshake. The lady with who ran it, Maggie Robillard, I loved her. My mother's friend, she narked on me. I got in trouble because I didn't go to church. (laughs) She told my mother. He bought a milkshake with the money he was supposed to put in the basket. Um, That's where I realized that uh, we weren't alone in the universe.
0: At any point in time during your NDEs, did you see other things besides looking at your body, like beings or bright lights or anything else?
1: Not not those. I I I um I got to tell you this. Uh, a month ago, I uh, was uh, preparing my greenhouse for a new covering. Because of the damage to my spine, uh, even though I was on a 2x10, my left leg went out from underneath me. And I fell from the top of the greenhouse down. I had another NDE. I am just recovering from it. In fact, um, I have a couple more tests scheduled. Um, I'm lucky. I uh, Some of the things I hit the way down, lucky I didn't have them impale me. Um, And when I hit on the ground floor, I could see myself. I was out of the body again. I could see myself. It took me a while to figure out why it happened again. It's because... The Hopis have a legend about the kachinas, the blue and red kachina. The blue kachina has a dual meaning. Now, when I built my house in Florida, when I was doing the work down there in Windermere, I I had my project manager from Disney actually uh, did the building because he was a contractor too on the side. His name was Tom Tosi, good man. I um, the house I have most of the stuff. I'll send you the pictures. Totally decorated in Hopi art and in rugs. I had some of the rugs made into pillows with my furniture and things like that. And when you see this collection, I think you might understand some deeper about this. Why? It's just like, why did I collect that stuff about the Inuits? Well, well, when you have a QHHT quantum healing hypnosis therapy, and past life regression with Dolores Cannon's people, that's the only ones that I knew. Um, And you realize about past lives and things like that. And then you realize that um, that you were an Inuit back then. And in another past life, you were a Hopi. Now, those are the only two collections of art that I've ever accumulated in my life. Kind of strange, seeing that I was born in the middle of the Adirondacks. never had an exposure to either as youth. So, No, I have not seen anything in the NDEs except what I explained to you, but it was proven to me beyond a doubt that um, we're immortal spiritual beings by the other way. Now, I know that people talk about meeting Jesus or meeting loved ones and I believe them I believe him from from what I've learned going through all of this I would never doubt anyone else's experiences because people are going to listen to me on this program and say that guy's crazy but I'm not crazy um I sent you my wife's CV okay um You know, basically, if you've read that material, you know basically some of my history. If I can't prove it, I wouldn't say it. I sent you proof of just one case. Why would I have the pictures, current and the wanted poster on the gardener? If I was crazy, why would I have all the information about, I, I tell you right now, more than once the FBI has asked me Where's the other body? And my answer to them is, I don't know. I don't know, because I didn't even know it was happening back then. I was more worried about getting this bullet, which was down in here, removed, because it was moving. And nearly, I mean, I was in the hospital every single week in Orlando after that accident because that bullet was moving. And they took tests and everything and they diagnosed it. They thought it was a brain tumor. And it just so happens that one of my doctors in Orlando went to college with Jeffrey Crandall, who was a doctor at UVM, who had a brain tumor as a younger man, had it removed, survived and dedicated his life to saving other people from such. Now think about that connection. Why would my doctor in Orlando know this doctor in Burlington who I never knew until they sent me up there and made the arrangements for me to meet with him? So Now maybe it's because it was meant to be this way.
0: Well, are you implying that perhaps these NDEs were planned pre-birth?
1: I can give you two answers. A, I hope not, but B, I don't know any other explanation. I I, 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 I can't. Um, it's almost like I've been convinced that everything happens for a reason and there are no coincidences in life. Which my mother used to say all the time, and I thought she was crazy. Um, you know, growing up in Tupper Lake wasn't easy. You know, it's a small town with 98% Catholic, middle of the Adirondacks, born in 1949, where, according to my father's record, something was very, very strange. I was born at basically six months in the womb in 1949 in Tupper Lake, where my father described in his journal, the incubator might as well have been a shoebox with cotton balls and a light bulb in it. That was his term. My father was the first sergeant of one of the first mass units. Okay. Um, so my wife, my current wife, her uncle, Lieutenant General Leroy Manor, who's now deceased, one of the last, uh, what, the, the most decorated Lieutenant General in US Air Force history. Her grandfather, who she never got to meet, Captain Harold Manor was the last Sabre jet pilot to die in a crash across the street from my wife's mother when she was 10 years old, playing outside. Um, Everything's connected, okay? We're not alone in the universe. Um, Everyone thinks that everything has to relate with, well, we, because of religion, right? Uh, God, okay? Um, the documents that I have from the Russians, because, see, when when the Soviet Union fell apart and you leave your people out in the cold, they have to eat. So what do they do? You're going to sell what you need to feed your children. So if you have documents, you don't give a shit. You sell them. I got both copies, which describes basically everything. And here's something strange. I always wondered about how we were defined as what God is, you know, this guy in the clouds, right? But why in in their documents do they say the same thing? I'll send you, if you want the whole copy, but you can pick it up yourself. The uned, the edited one, which still contains enough information. The message is she. Now, I always wondered as a kid. Um, I I don't want to say it, but um, how is everything created in life that we know? I mean, everything flowers, plants, everything is a female organ that creates life. According to them, in the documents, they say, think of, think of the source as, they don't say God, think of the source as what is defined as the goddess in Greek and Roman mythology, Diana. I just, I mean, it it just is a a biological wonder um, about where life comes from, about how how women, women are divine. I mean, and 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 I know how we got back. See, after the after the the last uh, probably after most pole shifts when there's a reset of life on earth and there's survivors, there's always has been, um, women would need male strength for protection and survival. Okay, some men takes over, but in the past, women ruled. What woman would send their child to war? Um, women are divine. Um, their hearts beat differently, in, figuratively, in a sense, than what men do. Um, would have to. Have you ever watched a woman breastfeed a baby, breastfeed a baby, and watched the baby? look into the woman's eyes. Sorry about that. Right. Uh, watch the uh, w- the child look into the woman's eyes. It's just an amazing thing to witness. Um, that's the information that I have. Um, and I, um, I'll swear by it.
0: After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that?
1: I always have been. I've been doing it since 214, sir. I have, I have, um, like I said, I'm what they call an enlightened because I was 150 on the list of enlightened people and I didn't even know what it was. I had asked my wife to Google it. Um, and you can, and you can find out who's on that list, but the list is not complete. I'll give you a little one. Chris Martin was interviewed after their experience, which they were very verbal about, the guys in Coldplay, by Howard Stern on his live program. And Howard says to Chris, he says, Chris, your music and your lyrics are incredible. Where do you get them? And this is exactly, because the video, okay? Here's Chris. Get him from the universe. Little did he know. That's where he gets them from. So does the girl from Arcade Fire. So does the songwriter for Gang of Youth. There is so many messages in music. It's incredible. But people, most people don't look at the lyrics. But they move to the vibrations of the music. Music heals you. That's why I can walk today. Because I've been in a wheelchair more than once. Um, And you know what I did the first time? I put the earphones on in the hospital bed. And I listened to nothing but reggae music for almost a year. And, and I swear to you, that has helped heal me. We have been separated from the truth for so long because if you can separate people from the truth, you can control them. If you fool people and keep them fooled, you can control them.
0: You're okay with people reaching out to you. What's the
1: best? Absolutely.
0: What's the best Absolutely. way for them to reach you?
1: They can find me on, on uh, Facebook. Uh, they can messenger, or I'll give you my cell number. I don't care. All
0: right.
1: I, I'll, like I'll I said. Let, I'm my cell is four zero seven. Well, I was gonna 30. say
0: I'll let them message you, and then you can give it to them once sure. they once they contact you.
1: Um. Now, do you
0: have a book?
1: I got 155 pages written, and my wife is on my butt to get it finished. Um, naturally, doing the work I did at Disney and Universal, I'll tell you a little funny story. I did not have Universal Studios uh, at the time. I uh, I was uh, I had done the Orlando Arena for the city the year before. I was a consultant on the job. Because their headland led head landscape architect was the former headland and landscape architect for Disney named Bill Cohen, who's president of ICATEC, Itech, who does all of theme park building now. And he's the first person I met with uh, in '85 when I decided that I needed to locate in a place where I didn't have to travel seven hours to get to work. Um, and and be away from your own bed you know for for a week um and uh what happened is the the person they gave the contract to uh basically it failed and um i had to tell them why and everything and um at the very last meeting before christmas uh 88 and um The city manager was at that meeting and he turned. After I gave my report, he turned to Bill and he said, Bill, what are we going to do? He said, Who can we get to do this work? And (laughs) embarrassingly, Bill pointed at me and he said, Why do you think he's here? Because Bill knew. So he asked me, put me on the spot, not Bill, but the city manager, what happened? He asked, He says, What if you do it? Well, I didn't want to do it because I don't like taking work from someone else. But um, so I threw out a high number. He said, "Okay, we'll see." So I went home, and um, New Year's Eve. I'm getting ready to go to a out to dinner and to a a hockey tournament, St. Lawrence Clarkson, and um, it's a city manager. He says, "Scott, the price still good." I go. What do you mean? He goes. We found out you were right. The price so good. He said no. He goes. Why? I said because I know what's coming out of your mouth next. You want me down there January second. Job has to be done by the twenty-eighth of January because Bill Cosby's got a concert there, uh, you know, this is comedy show. He said. What do you want? I said. What's going on? Emergency city council meeting. He said. Um, Well, uh, they were worried. I said, "No shit." So I had to, you know. I said, "Look, it." I said, "You think flights are going to be cheap?" I said, "Secondly, I got to get someone with tractor trailers to bring my equipment down on a weekend." And I said, "Um, "Hotel rooms, tourist season starts, price goes up." So I gave him a number, and he said, "Okay." And he came back and said, "You got it, but don't let us down." We didn't, we were there January 2nd, and by 10 o'clock that night, the north side of the arena was finished. So, plus I had the the right type of equipment. No one else had the lasers and things like this. Because of the pattern, everything had to be shot from the air. It had to match up perfectly with dock fountains and everything. So in any event, because of that, when we were finished, packing up to leave I was approached by Kirk Kotzen, one of the head engineers who's still a lifelong friend he says, Scott, we got a problem I said, what? We don't have a punch list. He goes, no he points at two tractor trailers In those tractor trailers are the seats for the arena we don't have anyone to unload them let alone install them but you guys could you got every tool in the world So I looked at my men who I just given two weeks pay to because they had a week's paid vacation in Orlando with everything paid for, including passes to Disney because they did what they did. I'm not a greedy person. And I said, and so they said, sure, we'll do it. And they did. I never built the city for that. The day we started Magic Kingdom, John Hellinger, the gopher for the arena job, whose mother was city council woman, who ran for county executive and won, who floated the IDA bonds for Universal Studios, shows up at Disney. He says, Scott, we're waiting for you. Everybody, we all knew him. I mean, he was a good guy. Really? What for? (laughs) Don't you know? Don't what, John? (laughs) Well, he told me about his mom. He said they told Universal, you're gonna do the work and don't argue with them. So we did. Okay, I left with Nen, went and got the blueprints. Then I had a problem. I had to get more people. Okay. The very first day we started Universal Studios, there was this really kind of familiar face guy, standing watching my men install the paving stone at what you call shark encounter. I didn't know who the guy was. And so I uh, was standing there watching my men work. And he turned to me and because my men acknowledged me. He turned to me and said, What are they laughing at? I said, I don't know. So I walked up to my superintendent. And I said, What's so funny? He brought me over to the shark that was hanging there, but they, I don't know if they still have it hanging there or whatever. Not that one. He said, look at the shark, Scott. So I looked at the shark and I started laughing. So I go over to this man who looked for Megard, but when you're working the hours I did back then, you didn't go to movies. So I said to the guy, they're laughing at the shark. Looks like a fucking guppy, for Christ's sake. You think they they would have consulted a marine biologist mm-hmm. in Florida? And he looked at me, turned around, left. I didn't care. I'm just telling him the truth. Fifteen minutes later, a blue Chevy steak rack pulls up with one man. Hey, guys, can you help us? Sure, what? Got to take, down, got to take the shark down. It's got to go away everybody looks at each other so we did we put it on the thing wrapped it in a tarp and off we drove fine the next day i'm in lombard's landing which i did for robert earl including the hard rocks and um that was right at universal studios and um inside the gate hard rock was outside and because we did his work Worked 24 hours a day for, I don't know, four days. Finished the project. He opened early. And being a restaurant, you have your soft opening, right? He says, Scott, anytime you or your men want to come and eat, it's on me. So I'm sitting in the middle of the dining room with an old friend from DEA days. And um, she says to me, what is he Talking to the other, she knew these people. I didn't. This uh these other that other director for and keeps on pointing at you. I said, Deb, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, Don't turn around now. It's Steven Spielberg sitting behind you with another director. There was a row of tables against the wall, benches, you know. She says, um, but he keeps on talking to him and he points at you. I said, Deb, I don't know what Steven Spielberg looks like. Never never met the guy. So I thought. So eventually I dropped my napkin because I was still blind in this eye. Not anymore. Not totally. But I got some of my vision back. And um, I, with my right side. I so I turned around and I go, oh, fuck. And she goes, what? So I told her what happened the day before. She goes, You better go and apologize. Well, of course, my throat closed up, realizing that I made an ass out of myself. And um, so I thought. And uh, so I get up, and I approach Mr. Spielberg and the other director. And before I could say a word, he put his right hand up like this. And he said, son, you don't owe me an apology. My people told me the truth instead of trying to kiss my ass all the time, make my job that much easier. I have left instructions. You have complete artistic freedom. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I turn around and go back to the table. And I couldn't, I, I'm telling you, my throat, I couldn't have spoken. I was so embarrassed. So I, you know, I know a few people uh, in the industry. Um, Bob Earl, um, he was, very appreciative work we did for him because we did a lot of work on Hardwalks headquarters and it wasn't all paving stone. Trust me.
0: Right.
1: Scott, let me
0: change gears with you because we've run out of time. Sure. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: Um. Well, I try to uh, leave it with everyone. A, whether you want to believe it or not i guarantee you i bet my life on it you are an immortal spiritual being okay which means some of us are older souls that come to earth some of us are newer souls but we're still the same some of us have more experiences some of us don't we all make mistakes in life because that's the human nature that's part of the part of the deal when we come here it's a planet of free choice what you decide to do doesn't mean you're going to hell you can screw up and everything but but it does mean that you may have to have a do-over to to finally learn that um, the purpose of life really is to be in service of others to um to not be greedy to not be cruel, to not be unkind, to not to judge people on their, their their appearance, or their clothing, or what they drive. That doesn't make them a lesser person. Just just take care of each other, because we're going to have to. Because of what's coming. I'm not. I I I, I can't. Predict. I've 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 been shown things that have, that I've shared with very few people that have scared me. But then after they've shown me these things that have really scared me, I have grandchildren which I worship. The one that's an O'Connor. I haven't even been able to see or hold because I don't know because I did the right thing because those paintings belong back where all of us can enjoy them. Because guess what? There's only seven master painters in the world. Those seven master painters are the list, are on the list of enlightened people. Their works are messages. We have to smarten up, okay? We have to smarten up because if we don't, and we don't take care of our planet, Where are we going to go? You wonder why? You wonder why Musk wants to go to Mars? I mean, people wake up. We have everything we need here to evolve properly, to take care of each other, to commune with the source. But we're so distracted by the materialism by, by things that that really I mean how, how much does one person need to be happy? Well you know what when, when I had lots of money I shared it I did I, but but regardless of, of that the money didn't make me happy. I was pursuing the money to buy love. From my first wife that wasn't there. So maybe we just step back and take a look at our lives and see what we've done and why we've done it and where it's led us. Maybe we maybe we start to smarten up. I know I got my wake up call. That's that's all I can share. I mean. It's been pounded into me.
0: Scott, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest. Thank you, sir. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.